This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. The North Star for clinicians is the patient. If that's not part of your mission and vision, I'm certain it is for all organizations. But if you're not clearly, consistently as leadership communicating by your actions and your words that that's the North Star for this organization, I think you're missing an opportunity in terms of retention of staff. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Durin, and I have a special but not first-time guest today in Joan Moss, the leader of the SG2 intelligence team, at least for a short time longer. Joan's retiring this summer, which was also the impetus for this episode because as we're at such a unique moment in healthcare with all the changes, disruption, challenges brought on by a COVID pandemic, it's easy to think that we've never faced anything like this before. But I said to Joan. And I bet you have seen plenty of other big challenges that looked like we had never seen it before and looked like we couldn't get over it. Can I ask you to look back through your career and share some of those times and what we learned and how those lessons might apply today? Even though I'm tapping Joan's retirement as the reason for this episode, this isn't about Joan. I'm trying to leverage her many, many years of experience. And as you'll hear in some of these great answers, we cover several decades in our question. So thank you so much, Joan, for being willing to do this and for being the champion at SG2 who launched the podcast. So those of you listeners who really enjoy it, you have Joan to thank. Thank you, Trevor. I love it. The podcast series has been phenomenal and it's a great medium to bring our messages out to the industry. So thank you. Wow. Looking back, let's just say I'm reflecting on 40 plus years. Your question about some of the crises we've seen in the past and what lessons we learned from them. The first one actually is when I entered the field in 1975, I was down at Northwestern in Chicago and we had a difficult workforce shortage. I feel like I began my career and I'm ending my career with a workforce shortage that is cyclical in this industry. At that time, we were 10 years past Medicare coming in. We had greater and greater demand as a result of Medicare recipients now being able to have better access and funding for their health care needs. And we were building many hospitals and there was a lot of interest in expanding our workforce in response to the demand at that time. And I would say that the federal government provided part of the answer. They funded a lot of graduate school education for physicians, pharmacists, nurses, so that we could expand and the number of people, or at least educators, in those professional disciplines. The other thing that happened at the time is we took a very hard look at our nursing profession, so I'll speak now as a nurse at that time, in terms of what it meant to be in professional practice. And that meant taking a look at not only the care delivery and our common standards and practices, but the quality and impact of the profession on those outcomes. What really elevated from a recruitment standpoint, people coming and being attracted into the field. 
workforce shortages have been cyclical. If I move ahead to the late 80s, early 1990s, I was at the American Hospital Association at the time. And the studies at that time that AHA did with Harvard looked at some of the motivation or the reasons for why nurses were either staying in the profession or not. And at that time, it had to do with total household income. We went into unfavorable economic times and the family was financially financially distressed, nurses tended to stay in their roles, and therefore we were not compromised in terms of our staffing levels. Now, it's a bit counterintuitive. I mean, unfavorable economic times as a country is not a good thing, but it actually helped stabilize one of the core labor groups for the industry. I'm not suggesting that will happen this time because there are other factors in terms of people leaving the profession and the accelerated retirement that's happening. Happening right now, but ironically, in less favorable economic times, it has led to better nurse retention and nurses staying in the workforce. Trevor, when I look back at the decades, when DRGs came in, in 1986, what evolved from that payment change was a whole industry around utilization management. We became much better at managing length of stay to the DRG up to that point. That was less a factor in planning patient care. But once DRGs were in place, there was just a tremendous growth in terms of utilization review prior authorization, all of those things that remain in place today. It was good because at that time, there was a clear national criteria set up. It was referred to as ISSI, intensity of service and severity of illness criteria. There were clinical criteria, not financial criteria, in terms of determining whether patients were appropriately in the right setting at the right time. And the other thing, it stimulated the growth ultimately in the 90s in terms of post acute care. So home care, the growth in skilled nursing, many health systems actually had in their inpatient facility SNF units, skilled nursing units at that time. Ultimately, in the 90s, we developed LTACs also as a response to long-term acute care hospitals for patients who were still at acute care level of need but would be staying for 21 days or longer in terms of their anticipated recovery. When I look back at the 40-plus years, there's points, I would say, in every every decade that stimulated change that we are benefactors of today. The one area that is still in my mind a incomplete story is the lessons that we learned from full risk capitation in the late 90s. I think we knew how to manage the care based on utilization criteria and the payment rate, but what we didn't have at that time was avenues for virtual or home-based care. We did not have a fully integrated medical record across the full continuum, and therefore, we were really not able to manage well the patient outcomes. And so we did some things, but it basically went out of favor. And I think we will still revisit those lessons from the 90s as we slowly and continuously move toward value-based care. Wow, Joan, those were great. At SG2, we love looking ahead and thinking about what the next big disruptor trend might be. What do you see as a couple, they don't even have to be looming on the horizon, but a couple potential things that could be the next big trend or the next thing that's a big change for our industry? I'm just thinking about the recent lessons we've learned from COVID. Let's start there. 
one of the most important things we learned from COVID is a culture change that valued, that required, frankly, a mindset to accelerate change. We have always been a risk-adverse industry, and clinically, I fully understand why. But I think COVID helped us in thinking about accelerated change processes, to be more agile, to be able to realize that we may not have a complete standard of care but that we had no choice in order to save lives and to find the treatments that were necessary and the standards of care that were required. This change of culture and mindset about accelerating change will be extremely important. Many of our members have talked about that with us in terms of trying to preserve that as we move forward so that we're purposeful in our change processes, but that we're not almost sometimes just bogged down in change. It's very, very hard for institutions to execute change. The other thing COVID did was just accelerate trends, which you all have been hearing about. And we certainly see it at SG2 in our forecasts and our conversation with the members. Site of care shifts, that shift to ambulatory, outpatient, and ultimately the home as a site of care was accelerated and it's going to continue. In fact, the acute care at home waivers that were allowed under the COVID emergency situation allowed us to test changes. And I think we're not going back from that. I think that will continue. We've got to figure out pay parity or an appropriate payment system for acute care at home. The consumers in terms of site of care shifts, the digitalization of healthcare, telehealth, virtual visits, they like it. We're not going back from that. On the inpatient side, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the expansion of our critical care capabilities. With COVID, we had health systems tripling and quadrupling their critical care beds in a matter of weeks. Now, this type of change had never been done before. I can remember months of planning processes to extend or expand ICU or even step-down beds, but particularly critical care beds. There was no time for that. And the fact that we were able to deploy the technology, upskill the workforce, make the necessary isolation control requirements because of COVID, and the ability to expand our critical care capability will serve us well in the next decade and beyond. We have an aging, frail workforce, a population with many comorbidities, obesity, diabetes, behavioral health, and we're going to be looking at a higher level of acuity in our inpatient beds. The growth and volume is relatively small over the next 10 years. We're only predicting maybe a 2% rise in our volume of inpatient discharges, but we're expecting somewhere between 8% or higher number of inpatient days because the patients will be sicker. This ability to care for more complex, critical level acuity in our inpatient environment, what we've done in COVID is going to pull through for, at a minimum, the next decade, but I expect that to be true beyond. You talked about workforce already, but I'm going to come back to it. Solving the workforce equation is something we've been working on for a long time, right? It's never been easy, but it seems different right now. 
Do you remember a time when we got really creative with workforce solutions? And maybe it was even around a specific skill or function, but it really forced us to innovate and improve the clinical product and how that makes you hopeful that getting over this hump will do the same? Yeah, the workforce models have been interesting. When I graduated, entered the field in 1975, it was all about team-based nursing. There were a lot of positives about team-based nursing. And in the mid-80s, we went to primary care models where the skill mix was more registered nurses. And that had its advantages also. But again, the market changes, the economics change, and we're back at a time right now trying to figure out how are we going to support larger and larger percentage of new graduates into our workplace environment. And it's not even just the inpatient environment. We've got to prepare a new generation of providers in extended settings, whether that's ambulatory clinics, ambulatory surgery centers, which will have higher and higher levels of acuity or home-based care. We need to take what we've learned and we have to apply those lessons across the continuum because we need clinicians and providers and a workforce. This is not easy. At Vizient and SG2, we look at the workforce equation kind of in three broad areas. It's recruitment, retain, and then reimagine. In the recruitment area, something that happened that we might revisit, frankly, that was available in the 70s was to expand the number of people and the access for individuals to come into pharmacy programs, nursing programs, physician programs. We're probably going to need to do something in terms of funding. I'm the product in the mid-70s of attending graduate school thanks to the federal government. They provided full tuition reimbursement and a stipend to live on. In order for our workforce to reflect our communities in a more equitable way so that we can bring health equity not only to our communities and the patients we serve, but ourselves as providers, we may need to look at something like that. Because right now on the retained side, We have, and I'll just speak for nursing, we have nearly 20% of nurses leave the field after 12 months. They are so dissatisfied with the work environment. They just leave, and they're not always leaving just to go to maybe another setting. They are leaving the profession entirely. I have a niece who went through medical school out in Massachusetts, was in a residency program after two and a half years, just basically walked walked out one day, said, if this is what care is all about, I have chosen the wrong profession. I cannot do what I need to do as a physician and just left the field. This is not just nursing, although I have the broad numbers for nursing, like I said, close to 20%. It's happening, I certainly in terms of medical school graduates and physicians. We can't look to the future with that kind of turnover. On the retention side, mentorships, having what some institutions are referring to as virtual nursing, where there's oversight of people who have a little more years of experience under their belt to sit in a centralized hub and provide some elements of patient care that can be done virtually through a hub setting. Again, I'm talking about inpatients now. So maybe they're more directly involved in care coordination and utilization review 
Maybe they're doing some of the patient education pieces. So a virtual nurse model, we're going to have tremendous flexibility locally and regionally in terms of how we staff the various sites and the various shifts that will always need to be provided for. We have to make the work environment a place where you're the employer of first choice, where people want to stay in your organization, and we mentor people through a career and a commitment of lifetime. The thing that maybe is being undervalued right now by many health systems in their recruitment and retention efforts is really the commitment to patient-centered quality care for all the things that have been done. And it's going to require many strategies to keep people at the bedside. You should not underestimate your culture and commitment to high-quality patient care. The North Star for clinicians is the patient. If that's not part of your mission and vision, I'm certain it is for all organizations. But if you're not clearly, consistently as leadership communicating by your actions and your words that that's the North Star for this organization, you're missing an opportunity in terms of retention of staff. The last area is reimagine. Really what I have learned in 40 plus years, because the first 20 years of my career were more in clinical practice, education and operations. And the last 20 years, particularly because of my years at SG2, I have spent more on the business and strategy side of the business. We ought to have graduate educational programs. And I think we've got to figure out the structures to bring strategy and operations together. At SG2, many others refer to this as strategic execution. We have to transform the roles in strategy and operations leadership to work together on strategy and execution plans. Our sad history, if you look at Harvard Business Review or other research studies, about a third of strategy is lost in execution. We can't afford that kind of waste. The industry, we are going to be strapped and we just can't afford the waste in the system anymore. If you don't have both of those pillars in an organization at the table, planning and understanding the strategy and working together on execution, and of course, when it comes to workforce, it's one of the most important strategic assets that you have. If your strategic plan does not include an in-depth analysis of the workforce implications, the technology implications on the workforce, all of the things that impact the EMR, the documentation, the requirements on the operations side, we will continue to have loss in strategic execution. One of the things that SG2 and Vizian has executed in the last year as a way to support members to try to improve that is something we call an integrated performance solution, IPS. We take complex issues like shift to ambulatory sites. How do you align physician models to new ambulatory areas, particularly ambulatory surgery areas, or health equity? complex issue. How do we partner with community? How do we even figure out what our strategic direction or goal is in health equity? So we take complex issues, we bring organizations together with their own data, 
So it might be one or two of the market data from the institution. We have a calculator to help organizations understand the strategic options and six weeks of learning sessions with SG2 strategy experts. Varies with the topic, but bringing our experts to the table with a peer group, typically 40 to 50 other organizations across the country. By spending six weeks with the strategy experts and market-level data to identify where the opportunities are as the first part of the integrated performance solution, it helps organizations make a strategic decision. At the very least, they perhaps rule out some strategic options and get a clearer measurement of what the strategic opportunity is in the market. Then part two of the integrated performance solution is four to six months working again in a peer group environment, learning from experts around execution. But both of these elements are data-driven. You'll have the metrics to measure change over time. We've had great success and engagement with organizations. The Vizient Vulnerability Index, the VVI, has now been tested in over 150 organizations across the country. This is a measurement of social determinants of health at the community, at the zip code level to help organizations understand where their health equity challenges lie and whether they are more about food deserts, transportation, access, education, environmental concerns. So there's about eight different broad categories of social determinants of health. Using that Vizient Vulnerability Index in an integrated performance solution. We're helping organizations understand, dissect opportunity with data, and then you have the measurement tools to measure change over time. Strategic execution is the next generation, really, of leadership skills that we're going to need as an industry. We have the capabilities. We continue to build better tools and measures to have our solutions data-informed and expert-driven. We can do it. I have absolute confidence. I just think in other decades, we were either limited on integrated information systems, perhaps we were limited in, again, virtual technology. Technology. The workforce challenges have been cyclical. I just don't know. I'm very worried about the industry in terms of workforce. We have to get serious again. It feels like when I entered my career 40 plus years ago. Joan, we've brought up plenty of things that are big challenges, plenty to worry about across the landscape. But what makes you optimistic today as you're leaving the healthcare industry that you made an impact and we're headed in a good direction? Thank you, Trevor. I am optimistic. I certainly haven't minimized the challenges, but I really feel we've got a younger generation that is technology savvy. I think they're critical thinkers, and I think they bring a value system to the problems we're facing, which is not to suggest the baby boomers, my generation, were without values. The balance of health equity, a value system of national importance, understanding and payment systems, understanding complexities of clinical care, being able to apply technology and data to the solutions. That balance 
is the kind of leaders we're looking for. And I'm optimistic we have them. I wish I had 10 more years, but I don't. But I believe at least the workforce probably will continue to do some work for the industry, either through volunteerism or I actually still have an active nurse license. If I wanted to, I could probably get a job pretty quickly. But, you know, I'm a little rusty for at the bedside. As long as we keep the patient as the North Star, the patient and family as the North Star. And I would say also, we never forget the importance of workforce. There's always got to be somebody a human. Could we leverage with artificial intelligence our humans a little better? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, healthcare is a people business. And so keeping that in mind, the patient is your North Star, will keep you on track. It certainly has helped me. You've still got it, Joan. So whether it's clinical work or something else, I know you will have a busy retirement. Thank you so much for leveraging your experience to share some ideas, stories, and some hopeful thoughts for the future. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes, and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Visient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at visientinc.com backslash podcasts. Mm-hmm.